0: great to be with you guys. That is exactly what we hoped Radius would be when we started it. So if you're new here and you're trying to figure out why we named it Radius, because we thought potentially that you and I could know and love our neighbors. So Halloween for years has been this time that we celebrate. I mean, you can use the word redeem it in some ways, where it's a, it's a time for us to interact with our neighbors and know them and love them. So uh, Brittany, is, uh, that's exactly what we're hoping is going to happen around here. Because this is a team. So a lot of times, church kind of ends up being this place where you come, you listen to some dude who's talking, and somebody else who leads worship, you go home. But for us, really, if you're a partner here, we're doing this together, and our hope is not only that we you know, invite folks here, we clearly got some room here to invite more folks, but that we would love our neighbors, as Jesus commanded us to do. I wish you could sit in on a staff meeting with me, uh, because you just get to hear stories of stuff that's happening in our family. It's uh, super encouraging. This week, I, I got to hear all kind of variety of stories from a four-year-old boy that uh, is in our children's ministry, and, and the children's leader was actually in tears, excited about how he's being incorporated into the group, which is just cool, like from the very youngest to... Uh, uh, Brent went on the trip with the seniors. Some of you seniors in the room today, like he was like, "Wow, you guys have." He's brand new here. He's our youth pastor, and he's getting to know everybody. And your seniors are just—it's like, a stacked group. So it's fun just to hear that there's this spiritual health and health to like our our, our teenage uh, soon-to-be adult. Kind of folks, right? I heard a story about a group this week where the group leader was an apprentice last year, which means she had never led before, and now she's leading the group, and there's a lady in her group caring for another lady in her group. That's a, lot, a lot, lots of long line, but like that's what we're dreaming about, where uh, you and I, over the course of time, of, of a lifetime, could chug away here in Lexington, love our radius, and, and bring light, the light specifically of Jesus, our community, so so. Thanks for being a part of that. As you know, uh, Russell and I are a team. Russell's our teaching pastor. Russell preaches here about once a month or so, and then he preaches at some other campuses, and then he coaches all of our guys. So last week you heard from Russell, but at the same time there was a 25 year old Sean Coffee preaching over at Centerville, and as soon as he's done, like on Monday, he and Russell they're working through the sermon. So Russell's now coaching guys like that because we're dreaming of planting radius churches. All throughout the Midlands, which is pretty exciting for me, it's really cool to sit out here when Russell's preaching. Beth, last service said that was you back there last week. Wait, so when somebody says something good, I, I say something like "Hey," that's what I do. Like some of y'all Baptists, the only thing you know is "Amen," right? Some of y'all Lutheran, the only thing you know are "That's what you know," like, that's what y'all do. Like, and we make y'all nervous, right? Like. Last service, I had Patty Brilhart and Cheryl Reeves. My wife was sitting back there. You got the two of them in the room. We good. Like they're gonna make some noise. It's good. So somebody's got to fill the space. Like we're doing this together, right? Like we're gonna do this together. Last week, Russell was preaching, and toward the end, I don't know if you remember this. He he uh, pointed to his daughter. Noelle was right up here on the front front, and he said, "Noelle, when she was little, would come sit on my lap, and I would whisper in her ear that what y'all remember this? You're my my favorite." And I was sitting back there. I'm going. Man, that is so good. And then he worked down all the boys. He got uh, four other boys, and he would walk them up one at a time and tell them that they specifically are his favorite, right? There's no favorites, but he would tell them that he's his favorite. It was just a way for him to to, uh, express his love for them. I, I was moved by that sitting back there in the back. I hope This is kind of what we're hoping is happening for you and for us on a Sunday. As we do this together, the guys that talk a lot, we're hoping that something will stick in your mind. That's stuck in my mind all week long. It was a gift to me that God the Father looks in on me and says, you're my favorite. He wants to me to saddle up beside him on the couch. He wants to make eye contact with me. He wants wants to be able to look down at me and tell me how much he enjoys having a relationship with me. And so back in the back, I said, hey, to that, because that, that moved me. It reminded me of a song that I heard in the 80s. Some of y'all, like, this This is, uh, if, you, if you YouTube it, the dude's going to have some pretty funky hair. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, because in the 80s, said, it, was, it was this band. It was a Christian band. I got really serious about following Jesus in college, and the band was called the Fever. I'm assuming that's the lead singer. I have no idea. Uh, but, uh, oh, yeah, I heard oh, yeah on the front row. Okay. All right. Mylon fever. All right. There we go. And uh, he sings this song, I'm a child of the father. So so you understand how this worked. Back in the day, like cassette tape, you put it in, you play it, and when it gets to I am a father, then you celebrate because that's your song, Right. Then you got to wait or you got to rewind. Like you can't just hit like replay. You got to like rewind and hope it hits the right spot. And if it doesn't, then you got to listen to the song before. And t- anyway, I, I, I'm a child of the father. Just grab my heart. I'll be driving down the road singing that song at the top of my lungs. And what I'm hoping is going to happen this morning is for those of y'all that known Jesus for a long time, you're going to go back to that moment or season when there was this song about the Lord, or it was a worship song that they sang at church, or it was a time with the Lord where, where you were close, and you, you're going to go back to that spot and remember it with joy and then evaluate where you are today. If you haven't ever had that experience, like church is kind of all you know about God, like this is all you know, and I mean, we love Radius, but if this is all you know about God, that makes me sad. Like, I want you to know him as your father. And be able to sing that song with me. I am a child of the father. So that was 35 years ago, a long time. And I found myself, had been brewing for a couple weeks. Russell kind of put his finger on it while he was preaching. He talked about his children being his favorite. And I was thinking about my relationship with God. I thought, man, I need to remind myself of that truth. I need to say it to myself. I believe it, but I need to say it to myself. I used to play outfield. If I was chasing a fly ball, it looked like it was going to be a difficult catch. I don't know if this happens to the rest of y'all. Maybe you're more confident than me. But on the way, I'm having doubt on whether I'm going to make the play. So on the route, while I'm running, I'm telling myself, I'm going to make the play. I'm going to make the play. Sometimes I wondered if I actually was saying it out loud and people were laughing while like, well, I watching it, but I'm going to make the play. And then when you get to the ball, then you make the play. You're reminding yourself, I'm capable. I can do this. I can do this. In this case, it's this thing that I needed to restate in my own heart that I am a child of the Father. Rest in that and remind myself that I belong sitting on the couch beside God Almighty. Because of his work. Jesus says about this meal that we remember on Sundays, what does he say about it? Do this in remembrance. You're going to need to remember this thing. One of the reasons we do it so often is because we we feel like we need to remember and remember and remember 50. We do it 51 times a year. 51 times a year, remember. And so... uh, I decided this week as I was getting ready to preach today, I'm going to preach that passage again. It's too good. Russell had long, he had like 30 verses he had to cover. He got to the end and he got to, he got to touch on this thing about being God's favorite. I'm, I'm going to take just a few of those verses and get some of the verses I'm supposed to get this next week and we'll figure out what to do after that. But I, I think we really need to hear again about God offering you sonship and just celebrate it together. Um, we picked Galatians because I, 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 over the summer as we were praying about what we should speak about, we really thought we needed to hear about grace again. So the whole book is about this word called grace, unmerited favor, something that was given to us that we did not deserve, we did not earn. And so like, if you wanna pray for me specifically, I get asked that occasionally. They'll go, how how can we pray for you, John? I'll say, right now, my my pat answer is I want to understand grace. Again, I want to understand it more. So as I read these verses, the reason we read them or read them over and over, and it may even seem a little repetitive if you've been here a bunch, because we just feel like we do not get it, and we want us to get it. Chapter 4, verse 4. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. That's a loaded verse. When the right time came. NIV says it like this. I like it actually better. When the set time had fully come. That makes it sound bigger. NLT like makes it simple, which I like about the NLT. When the right time came. What made it the right time? Well, the Romans, when Jesus came. Christmas, when Jesus was born, the Romans had dominated the world for a little while. So it's bad to be dominated, it's good because there's no fighting. So there's peace, because if you want to fight, the Romans come in and crush you. So the whole world was dominated by the Romans. So on one, one level, the, the world was free, and then the Roman Empire built roads between every town. So all of a sudden, it only takes an hour and 40 minutes to get downtown Greenville from Columbia. Yeah, back in the day, you have been on horse. It took you a little longer, but, but, but there's roads everywhere. So the world was connected by highways. The Greeks just got conquered by the Romans a while back had instituted what really turned out to be like a worldwide language. Everybody spoke Greek. That's why the New Testament is written in Greek. The whole world spoke Greek and, and the Romans actually made it their language for the world. And so all of a sudden you got the world's connected by highways and people can speak the same language. And, and it seems like just this perfect time for the good news about Jesus to land on this earth, right? Like The Jews, because they had been persecuted, had been spread out all throughout that part of the world, the Mediterranean world. So all throughout that part of the world, there were Jewish folks in each town and they would come into town and they would build their synagogue and they would worship. They weren't great at telling other people about their one God, but people heard about it. Who are the weird Jewish folks over there that believe in one true God? So you got roads, you got language, and this word about one God, which most of the world believed in multiple gods, had begun to spread and Jesus came to the planet, right? So it says, it says that it was at just the right time. Now, when our almighty God's in the mix and he says it's just the right time, then he coordinated all those events for his purposes. And it says God sent his son. Very simple word, sent. You know, if you know very little bit about the Bible, you've probably heard John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So, so like he gave him, he actually sent him on a mission. Why? Because he loved us, so he sends him to this earth. When everybody's speaking the same language, the whole world's connected by roads, and people are beginning to get the idea or hear a little bit about one true God says that he was born of a woman. John chapter one actually explains how God the Father made himself known to us. Can't see God the Father, right? Never seen Jesus, never seen the Holy Spirit. If any of y'all have, we need to have a little chat, right? I need to take y'all down somewhere else. Anyway, like, like uh, nobody's ever seen, at least living right now. So what does God do? He sends his son born of a woman all man, Jesus born from the Virgin Mary, like this miraculous birth, and he walks the, the earth as a man so that you and I could understand the Father, so we could see what it's like. When you open up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're reading it and you're going, Oh, that's what the invisible God is like. He's like Jesus, the man, the God man. He's all God and all man. You want to show off at work tomorrow? The hypostatic union. That's what that means. Like all God, all man, perfectly united into one. He walks the earth as a man, even though he's God, and we get to see how who the Father is. And as a man, he was born into a particular race. He was born a Jew, which made him subject to the law, which is an interesting part of the passage, he, he will be able to fulfill all the demands of the law. In Galatians, particularly, as Paul is pushing back against the demands of the law, he's showing that Jesus, all oh man, born as a Jew, came to really abolish the law in many ways and establish the law of Christ, he'll mention later in this book. So what I wanted you to see this morning is that this thing was planned, Right, like God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit put together a plan beginning not only at the fall when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, but even prior to that, in order to call you sons and daughters. They put together this plan and then began to execute this plan and at just the right time, God sent his son. You imagine that, the Trinity in heaven, you, like, like God, the father looks over at God, the son. They're already perfectly in unity, but it go, it's time. It's time. Perfect relationship. Never had a flaw. Like when I sent one of my sons to college, it's kind of sad. Like we've been hanging out for 18 years, but we're both flawed. He's ready to get a little independence and I'm ready to, you know, be able to find my keys when I'm leaving the house. Like, so like it's a, like we got this thing. So it's sad, but it's also, but you're talking about perfect harmony between the father and the son. And he sent him because, because of you. Because he wanted to save you. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. The coordinated plan to bring redemption for me and you. Well, I don't know if you watched it last night. This, if you haven't seen the news yet, the Gamecocks won last night. It was awesome. All right? like, so I'm glad to surprise you with that. Some of y'all were at the game and you're back this morning. I'm impressed. Thank you thank you for being here. But the Gamecocks came in with a plan. And I'm sure the coaches had it mapped out perfectly, but they didn't anticipate running the kickoff back for a touchdown. So it was like, whew, let's start the plan still. Like we're up seven. And then they didn't anticipate that... That Texas A&M was going to do the things that it did at the beginning, turn the ball over—all those things went. Wow, that's what happens when men make plans. Like some things go right, some things go wrong, and you got to adapt and go forward. When God, perfect, Almighty God, puts together a plan, He's running it exactly how it wants to go, and no man can get in the way and screw it up. He's going to run a plan. You can't stop Him. The enemy, Satan, and all of His forces can't affect God's plan. He's executing the plan on purpose to save us. And he says that he sent his son to buy freedom. The uh, Christian word would be redeem. Simple definition, gain possession in exchange for payment. So you were slaves and through the blood of Jesus, you were purchased with a price. And so you come in today, when you come up and take bread and juice, when I'm done, we're singing. You come up, you're celebrating because that represents your freedom. His blood spilled on the cross set you free. It was the payment. It redeemed you. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the entire Trinity come together and execute a plan because they want to redeem you of all things and redeem me and give us the right to come sit by the Father and have him look down at us say, you're my favorite. So it's kind of a positional thing, right? Like he made a payment, so there's this receipt. And it's, it stands right here. Perhaps that's why Jesus wanted to remember it all the time. There's this receipt. And every Sunday when you come take it, you look down at that receipt and say, I'm a, I'm a child of the Father. I don't care what everything else in my head is saying. I'm a child of the Father. There's the payment. I can see it. The verses go on. He says he could adopt us as his very own children. We have, we have a bunch of adopted kids at Radius. It's one of the things that we love. And there's, there's paperwork connected to adoption. And, and I love it. Adoptive parents in the room, you'll love this. That very own children. It's this intimate term. It's, it, it makes it sound more than just paperwork. Right? It, it actually begins this transition between paperwork, like I'm adopted as a child. The lawyer filled out all the papers, hundreds of papers, and, and all, everything signed. I'm officially a child, but it's, it's my very own child. It's starting to move, right? From, from positional to relational, even experiential. The verses will continue. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call Abba Father. There's our word sent again. He sent his son, and then he sent his spirit. All this work by the almighty God for you. I love the spirit part. I've been chewing on it all week. Uh, I read, uh, there's a guy I really like. He's an old writer. He died in the 60s. Um, Writes some great stuff. Uh, that worships the Lord. So if you want to read him, his name's A.W. Tozer. There's a bunch of devotionals that are put out that he he wrote parts of. I'll, I'll give you the titles if you want them, but here's what he said about the Spirit. What Christ did for us on the cross, the Spirit must do in us as a personal experience. What Christ did for us on the cross put us in a position to be adopted as sons and daughters of the living God. The Holy Spirit must do in us as a personal experience. Pretty good. So because of the work of Christ on the cross, who made me holy in the eyes of a holy God, he decided to place his Holy Spirit inside of me. And the Spirit actually then gives me the opportunity to be co-buried, co-resurrected with Jesus in light of me being co-crucified with Jesus. The into your hearts part, I just kept chewing on it this week, and I I don't know how to say this well, but I've I've been trying to tell myself that I'm a child of the Father. I've been walking with Jesus for a long time. I just need to be reminded. I'm hoping I'm reminding you. I'm trusting that if you've believed in Jesus, the Holy Spirit inside of you right now is reminding you that you're a child of the Father. And then he says, oh, that, that's, that's your positional spot, right? Like, and, and it's your experience. And he says, what the Spirit does inside of you, it actually allows you to call out, Abba, Father. They're a mech, which would be, in English, be like, Daddy. Like, it's personal. It's this personal call out to the Father uh, that has this intimate kind of term to it. The other day, uh, it's been, not the other day, it's been almost two years. Uh, we had some, two grandbaby daughters, and we're sitting on the couch, and Cheryl looks over at me, she goes, I need a grandmother name. I'm like, hey, this, this seems like out of my purview. That's not exactly what I, like, signed up to do. She's like, I, I need you, and it's like, it, it was fairly intense. She's like, I need you to give me a grandmother name, like, right now. Like, I, Baby, I don't, I don't know if I have the authority to like, do this thing. So I call Cheryl Pearl. All the kids hear me call Pearl. I will yell for Pearl in the house. And, and so she wanted the grandkids to call her Pearl. And all my kids like, gave the kibosh on that. I don't know why you kids think you have authority around here. But anyway, like, they're like, no, no, she ain't going to be Pearl. Like She's your Pearl. She ain't going to be Pearl to the grandkids. And she's like, I got to have one. And she had a couple flavors that she went, I, I like. I think it's like the babies. Like, who are the, the grandbabies get to say whatever they want, whatever it is. I said, well, we're going to roll with that. She's like, no, no, we're like that. We, we tell them what to call me. <laughs> I'm all right. Like, so I decided to make a little joke. I thought. <laughs> got to be careful. So Cheryl's more emotional than me. All right. Let's, uh, maybe she's emotional. And um, I thought it would be funny. So I said, hey, why don't we call you Emoji? You know, like, like, you know, little things on the thing. I ain't never sent emojis. Like, anyway, like, but she, she goes, that's it. I'm like, this, this is great. She goes, They're gonna call, they could call me Moji. Capital M, capital G, Moji. And she got all, all excited about it. now when the grandkids come over the house, as soon as they hit the door, guess who they asked for? Not me. They want to know where Moji is. One of, them, one of my granddaughters for a while called her Monet, which was cool. Like, like you know, kids call you what you want to be called. But it has this intimate feel to it. When they hit the door, they're so excited to go see their emoji, right? They, they can't wait to see it. Her, her name kind of captures who she is and her position in their lives. Let me go ahead and tell you, they ain't nothing like emojis. And, and, and one of my granddaughters calls me paw, paw She puts a W in there. I don't know. Maybe that's a Clemson thing. I don't know. paw paw Like she, she, she calls me that. Like I said, it's this intimacy, but, but nothing like being called Dada or, or Mama, Ladies, I'm sorry. I think dad is just easier to say for babies, so they always say dad dada first. I'm not really sure why that is, even though you did all the work. I understand. But, like, there's this intimate thing when a child aligns with his father or mother, and baby girl calls out mama the first time. It's like it's, it's another level, right, of intimacy, of connection. It's beautiful. The writer of Galatians is saying all this work, This positional status as sons of God, even this experience, having the spirit, is designed to put you in a position. When he looks down and says, you're my favorite, for you to look back up and say, daddy, you're my daddy. It's supposed to to have a life like that. Now, I know as I say those very words, a, a lot of you in this room have not experienced that relationship with a father. Just the stats would tell me that. I don't look around, like just see stories necessarily, but lots, lots of you have never tasted that with a dad, that intimate relationship. And so even when I bring it up, it might bring a little confusion, it might bring pain, it might bring anger. All those are real, and I'm sorry. As a matter of fact, even with the good dads in the room, we're, we're flawed, right? And so on our best day, we're pretty good, but then there's all these holes in our ability to lead our own family. If you would with me, as sons and daughters in this room of somebody, like imagine what you thought it would be if you had the perfect father and that's what this is. Like all those things you dream, some of y'all that have really never even met your dad, all those things you dream that he could have been, that's who this is and beyond. You can't imagine the quality of this father and this father would sacrifice his only perfect son so that you could sit beside him and he ain't never leaving. He's got unconditional love for you. You've never done a thing that would pull you away from it unless you didn't believe. He loves you. 1017, 1991, I had my first child. We celebrated his birthday this week. It was, it was uh, like scary, quite honestly, for me. But then, as he, he started when we started working on his left-handed jump shot at about one and a half, and then as soon as he could stand on a little tightest goal, like, there was just utter joy. I still remember him punting a football out in front of the house with a bunch of other kids. I'm like, my kid is the most gifted kid in the neighborhood. Uh, you know, everybody does this. Grandparents, y'all are worse. Y'all are worse, right? But she just said a word. No child has ever said a word at two years old before, right? Like uh, these crazy things. But it was, it was this utter joy, and I want you this morning to say, I'm a child of the Father, and even if you've never experienced that kind of utter joy from a dad on this, this earth, that's how the Father, God the Father, views you. Uh, I called JT's, my son, goes to college in, uh, in Chicago. We were talking on the phone, I don't remember why. And at the end of the phone, I started to make a joke. I said, I'll call you next semester. Which is usually I call like once a semester. And uh, he laughed. I go, does that bother you that I never call? Because Cheryl calls. Cheryl calls you know once a week. And he goes, No, dad, that does not bother me. He goes, I know what you're doing. Because you you're trying to make me a man. That's that's good. I also don't like talking a lot. But all I like, (laughs) I like mom did talking, but like I am. I'm trying to create independence. When the kids got to two, I was giving Cheryl this speech, like they're leaving. 16 years, they're out of here. We got to get them ready. They're not like I want them to go, but they're leaving. We got to get them ready. They're going to have to survive in this world because we're not going to last forever. No, even if we get to enjoy them some of their adult life, eventually I'm going, I'm going to pass away and they're going to be on their own. We got to prepare them for independence. And so this is how we view it. Like we're raising our, get them to maturity so that they can be independent, right? I hope you are. Seems like our world ain't doing a great job with this anymore supposed to be training them to be able to stand on their own two feet. That's how we move people to maturity. It struck me this week that Paul's writing this to the Galatians who are probably young believers, but he's not a young believer, and he's telling them to call him Abba, Father, Daddy, when they're grown. I don't know, at about 11, my boys stopped calling me Daddy. They started calling me Dad hugs got a little more awkward. I wish I would have pushed through it, but I didn't. So y'all keep hugging. But like 14-year-olds and you're hugging, like it's just a little more awkward than it was when the five-year-old crawls up and, and holds you, right? And even if you don't want to be affectionate, they force it on you. Like they, they, they're daddy, They're in, in your, in your uh, space and it's good. He's telling us that maturity in Christ is actually means that we become more dependent not independent. Like that, we get more comfortable calling God the Father daddy at 55 than I did when I was 20 and really in love with him singing, I am a child of the Father driving down the road. I'm supposed to be better at it. I'm not. I'm a bit embarrassed about that. I've had all these years with him. I should understand this better than ever. That's what maturity in Christ looks like. We become more comfortable with the Father. We become more conscious that we need him on a daily basis. We yield to him more readily when we mature in him. I find myself at 55 being full of discipline. I do the right things because I've been doing the right things for a long time. And sometimes I actually think I could do the right things without him. And I lose the, the joy of sitting there and looking up and calling him daddy and him looking down and calling me favorite. Instead, I'm just getting through life. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for you. He says at the end of the passage uh, that since we are his child, God has made you his heir. That means that your name was added to the will. How about that? So he did all this work. He gives you this affectionate relationship. You ain't done jack. And then he adds your name to the will. He says you're a joint heir with Jesus. You get everything Jesus got, right? Like, so you're welcome in his presence. Ephesians 1 says that you gain all spiritual blessings which is another reason we come down and take bread and juice because we're celebrating the fact that we've been given the right to call him daddy. That work right there gave us all spiritual blessings. If you read the Proverbs, we save money, we invest money, and if uh, things go well in that process, we can pass that along to our children. But wow, what if you just pass that along to your children and you didn't pass along the spiritual blessings? Obviously, you can't believe for a child, but certainly you want them to see all the good. And if you are a believer in Jesus, like you want that. For the next generation, not just our children, but for the next generation and the generation after that, we want them to taste this. Remember what it was like when you first believed. Verse eight, before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to the so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you Know God, or should I say, now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again to become slaves once more to this weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You see how he's arguing? You had this. You sat freely. Five-year-olds sit with their dads. When it's healthy, they sit with them freely, sometimes too freely. They fall asleep on you. They slobber on you. They got all kinds of stuff. They just freely sit there. They believe they belong. Paul's like, why are you giving that up? Why are you going back? By the way, he speaks to Gentiles in the NLT. It, can't, it takes a little privilege there. If you're, if you're not Jewish in the room, you're a Gentile. We're all the same. He's speaking to you and he's saying, man, you used to worship these other gods. Well, they had all sorts of gods. But if I wanted to s- summarize gods for all time, stuff, pleasure, and pride. And probably for each of us in the room, one of those is the highest. Stuff, pleasure, and pride. And he's just going, they're not even gods at at all. They don't even really exist. They don't really provide anything long-lasting. I love the fact in verse 89, he says, you know God, or should I say now that God knows you? You know anybody famous? I know a couple famous preachers. Nobody else, really. I took Tony Evans from the airport to a preaching engagement one time. It was awesome. Right. I, I'd listened to everything he did. He sat in the back. His wife was with him. She sat in the front, asked him as many questions as I possibly could in like our 20 minute commute. Right. He didn't one of them. She answered them all. <laughs> as good as that dude could preach, he couldn't talk in the car. Like, like, like I was like, no, he didn't. His wife just was, he was already focused on what he was about to do. And so like, I know him. I've listened to everything he's ever said. Right. Like I, I know him, but he didn't know me. If he walked in the room today, he'd have no idea who I am. I met Tim Keller in New York City. We rode in a car together. And the whole conversation revolved around why would I plant a church in South Carolina when I could plant one in New York City? He, and he got on me for plant, not planting New York City. I'm like, I think the Lord loves the South Carolinians, too. Like, I, and he's so much smarter than me. Like, I, I had a hard time, like, explaining myself. But, I was, but he, he wouldn't have a clue. who I know him. He doesn't know me. God's saying, I know you. You think you know me? But I know you. And because I know you, that should bring freedom. The very fact that I know you, that means I know all that you've done, all the stuff you do in the hidden places. I know it, and yet I still want you to sit with me and call me daddy. Stop trying to earn favor. They were following all, all these laws. They had picked up these dates, as, the, as, as it speaks of in here, verse 10. You are trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days and months and seasons or years. We got folks that believe you ought to meet at church on Sunday morning, some that believe you ought to meet on Saturday. We got folks that believe in Christmas, don't believe in Christmas. Like, like they believe Jesus was born, but don't think we should celebrate it like we do. We got all this stuff. and It all seems to be formed around the idea of elevating ourselves. Says, y'all argue about the dumbest stuff, but you don't seem to understand your place sitting beside me as your father, incapable of calling me daddies. Brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in what freedom from these things. For I become like you Gentiles, free from the laws. So. I just want to ask one really hard question today. You can take it home. I hope you'll stew on it all week. I asked it to our campus pastors a couple weeks ago. It kind of got all this started in my own heart. Zero to ten. All All right, so You're going to rank yourself. Not out loud. We're not going to raise hands or nothing. So you're good. Just do it in your head. Zero to ten. What's your walk with Jesus like? How comfortable are you calling God the Father Daddy right now? Zero to ten. Put it on, put it on a scale. So what I do with the campus pastor, I like, go to the 10, because everybody's willing to talk about their 10 moment, right? Like, tell me when it was a 10. Obviously, it's not going to be an utter 10 until we meet him someday, but when was it a 10? When when were you closest to Jesus on the planet? I have two clear seasons of life where it was 10-ish. And where are you now? Zero to 10. For me... Really good exercise because I, I had to go five. Maybe leaning towards six. I feel like I still have quantity time with God, but the quality's not great. And I hate it. So I started working on it. Obviously, you're like, you're a preacher, dude. Like, you read the Bible all the time. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I kind of do. But even still, my attitude toward it can, can get off. It can become more like a textbook than a book that was written by God to us. As can everybody. And I imagine in our room we have scores from about 1 to 9. Right, right now. So we move, our room moves. And part of the reason like, why we have groups and stuff is because we need each other. It was really good with those guys to go, I think I'm a, I think I'm a five. Here's the deal, I'm really disciplined. I've been following Jesus for a long time, so I, I kind of stay true from a discipline standpoint. It keeps me out of the ditches. It keeps me out of trouble. But when I think about the tens, the seasons of life where I was a nine or a ten and the joy that I got from walking with Jesus, this ain't nothing like that. So what do you do about that? I start thinking, I, like, I'm putting time in, but I got to work on the quality. Some of y'all, like, you know, it's never a good sign when a parent says, I give my kids quality time. That means they give them almost no time, but when, when they're there, they're fully, like, present. So it's both. It's quality and quantity. So I tell you some things I've done in the last two weeks that I don't know. I'm already seeing results from You've been walking for them a while. It's pretty cool how quickly uh, you can move it a a number. Once I practice some more silence, I've been too distracted, which means means that my phone has to go somewhere else in my case. Uh, I decided to take a day off. I know that probably sounds weird for a pastor. I'm not a real fan of taking days off. I uh, took a day off and, and left everything else behind and t- took a couple things to read that wouldn't have anything to do with what I do here. It would just be me and God. You want something? I, I got stuff. You're like, bro, I can't take a day off. That's not, my job doesn't work. I hear you, I hear you. But you could do something. And what is it? it? It's just a question of whether, whether this position, like the, the great joy when you remember that thing being a 10 if you want it back, something's got to change. Can't keep moving like, like you move. I wrote down, I, I, I read this somewhere, simplicity, moving back towards simplicity. Cheryl and I decided to do some remodeling at my house. We refinanced our house, got it great before the interest rates went up. And we've been doing that all year. And in, in order to save some money, guess who does a lot of the work? Yeah, yours truly so. I'm thinking about caulking trim all the time, dadgummit, for, the, for a lot of this year. Like, and you just get distracted. And the next thing you know, like you, you got your relationship with God on autopilot just to put down some linoleum floors or whatever the heck I put in that house. right? Like You, got, like you just get distracted, and life gets more complicated and less simple. And, and one of the very best things I got, the very best thing I got, goes, goes to the boards. Surrendered. I put that on my page just because I imagine somebody in the room just like you've grabbed up life and you've really drove it into the, rich, into the ditch and you're a one or a two right now compared to where, where the rest of it is. And today you need to open up your hands and say, Lord, I know I've grabbed everything. I need to open it up to you. I'm trying so hard to be happy. I'm wrecking my life. Open it up and stay in your seat. Like, wherever you got to be next, brothers and beer, they'll still have some chips when you get done. Like, just stay in your seat. Open up your hands. We're going to sing these songs and let him deal with you. Surrender. The thing I used to do when I was a kid to get on, kid, in my 20s to get on, to stay on track was when I come to church, I'd have a three-by-five card and I'd have something that I worshipped God about for the week. Put it in my pocket so that when we're singing songs, I wouldn't just lose myself while we're singing the songs, but I had this worship thought. I was thinking about God. Anybody can do that, right? Write it on a three-by-five card. Stick it in your pocket and pull it out. Uh, I prayed honestly with some friends this week. Now, I'm pretty honest, if you know me. Shoot you straight. You ask me how I'm doing, I'm not going to say fine, Generally. But I hadn't been in, in a spiritual way with friends as honest as I could be. It's just good to just pray the truth with them and let them participate in this spot that I am. But that's why we do groups. There's somebody in this room that will pray with you right now. I loved better. I don't know. A couple weeks ago when I started this process, being with God more has made me love Cheryl better. Shame to say it. But being with him directly impacts how I love. I saw sin in my life better. We had a family meal the other night. We went to Hudson's, which was awesome. We're hanging out. We're talking. I'm talking. Some words are coming out of my mouth that, that they're just wrong. It's my family. Like they, there's this, this, I don't even know. It was, it was, it was wrong, though. And and I I didn't catch it in a moment. I woke up at night because I've been spending more time with the Lord in this intimate kind of way, calling him daddy. I'm just going like those words didn't fit in this spot. And so I I was embarrassed. Really cool things. When you walk with God, you get embarrassed because you're not afraid because he saved you with his blood. So like the fear is connected to his authority. But like this, it's not this fear that he's going to crush you. It's more like, I'm sorry, I'm embarrassed. So I said I was sorry. Sometimes that means I got to say I'm sorry to other people. We're going to take bread and juice here. We do this every Sunday if you're new. Because he told us to. (laughs) And the more I think about it, the more I think that he said do this in remembrance of me because he knew we'd forget. And so we do this every week. This is your chance. So take this thing, like on one level, you call the father daddy. So you come up here easy, right? You come up here easy because of your relationship with the father. On the other hand, this is holy. There was this great sacrifice so that you could call the father and you ought to come up here with almost fear and trembling. You ought to go kind of both ways. Like I belong here because of the, because of the death of Jesus. But on the flip side, that is the most significant event in the history of the world. And it was done on my behalf. The whole of the Trinity participated in an effort to redeem my soul. So it might make you want to sing really loud here in a minute. Please do. might make you want to sit and just stew on the fact that I am a child of the Father. If you're not, man, let us tell you about it. Jesus. Thank you for your word and its power. Jesus, thank you for your grace and its its determination to chase after mankind. Thank you for it. You know us, Lord. Meet us exactly where we are now. Holy Spirit, work on us as a family. As we sing these songs, meet us in our chairs, sort our insides out. As people put up a a one through nine, make them tell the truth. Remind them how good it can be sitting closely to you, Father. We love you. Listen to us as we sing. Amen.